Good morning, Rock Valley Bible Church. Can everyone hear me good? Okay. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to our text. We will be continuing on in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verse 17 to 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 32. And we'll read that together now. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Well, this text can be broken down into two parts, verse 17 to 32. If we look at verse 17 to 24, it's talking about a new life. Putting off of an old self, being renewed in the mind, and putting on a new self. And then verse 25 through 32 shows us what the expectation is of us if those things have taken place place. I don't know how far we're going to get today. I'm going to try and limit our time to the half hour time slot that's been requested. So we might only cover the first half. But as I was studying this passage, I thought about the monarch butterfly. For those of you who know anything about the monarch butterfly, you know that it's a very interesting creation of the Lord. It starts off as a small little larva. And then it goes on to becoming a caterpillar, and it grows. It eats tons of food and gets big and plump as it blindly feels its way around. Going on to shed its old self, form a chrysalis, and then eventually emerge as a new creation, a, a butterfly. But what's interesting is, well, this creature of God is in the caterpillar stage, it's nearly blind. It 
can barely distinguish day from night. It feels its way around the best it can, and only 10% of them will go on to the chrysalis form, shedding off the self and putting on the new. But when it does, and it emerges, it emerges a greater and more glorious version of itself. When it emerges as a butterfly, it then has nearly perfect eyesight. It can see much more clearly. And it's as if it has this downloaded information in it to head south towards California or Mexico. It seeks a more hospitable land. And I think about this in light of the text and in light of the Christian life, how it plays out practically. We are all born in this world in sin. And we are like the larva that goes on to be a caterpillar, gorging ourselves in worldly things. But for some of us, by the grace of God, we come to a place through the Word where we shed the old and a renewal process takes place and then the new comes and we are a more glorious creation. We once were blind, feeling our way around aimlessly, but by the grace of God, we are given sight to see clearly and we are bent on our pilgrimage to heaven. Think about that as we examine the passage, specifically when we get to verse 22 to 24. Put off the old, be renewed, and put on the new. Let us go to the Lord in prayer before we begin to examine this text more clearly. Father, we are all dependent on your grace, your love, your mercy, Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Teach us what it is to be a disciple, to name the name of the Lord, and to abide in you and to bear fruit. Help us on this journey, Father, that we might honor and glorify your name before others, that we may, in fact, be a light to the world rather than a stumbling block. Work in our midst, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Call us to the truth of your word and cause us to never waver from it, even for a a moment. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, verse 17 of the fourth chapter of Ephesians says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Essentially what Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this with the authority of Christ. I'm saying this alongside of Christ, with the Christ, with his power. You must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, this might come as something strange to Gentile listeners. But what do you mean? We're Gentiles. How, how, how do we walk contrary to the Gentile way? Do we walk like Jews? Well, no, it's not talking about a a specific nationality, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's talking about walking as a Christian. To put off the Gentile ways. Now, what are the Gentile ways? We flip back to Ephesians chapter 2. We see that the Gentile's way is to walk dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit at work and the sons of disobedience, living in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, children of wrath. 
Now, chapter 12 says, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. To walk like a Gentile is to walk in hostility, open hostility against God. Now, to be sure, the Jews were fully capable of doing that as well. But specifically, Paul is saying, don't, don't walk like you did in your former manner of ignorance. These Gentiles, the way of the Gentiles, they're, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They're darkened, alienated, and there's this ignorance. Turn with me, if you will, back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 18 to 21. And you're going to see how Romans chapter 1 perfectly parallels with Ephesians chapter 4, 17 forward. The word usage is very similar. Talking about the same types of people. Romans chapter 1, 18 to 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. Listen to this, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 17, the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, and they are darkened in their understanding. There are people who walk in the way of error, walk in the way of unrighteousness, totally and completely depraved and cut off from God. They're hostile against God because their hearts know nothing different. They are bound to sin. They are under the control of sin. And it says because of this, they're alienated due to their hardness of heart. Now we're going to see how this ties into verse 19, this callus that begins to form. But there is this hardness of heart. In other words, there is a, a hardening of the heart that takes place. It says although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. You see, the world knows that God is real. All the years that this message is falling on right now, and even across the world, they know that God exists because the Word of God is true. The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth of His handiwork. God has put eternity on every man's heart. Brother Ray Comfort, I believe he wrote a book, or there's a quote of him. He says that God doesn't believe in atheists. I find that to be funny. Because there's no such thing as a genuine atheist. They might think so. They might have hardened their heart. They might have calloused themselves. But if God's Word says that eternity is placed on every man's heart and that the very heavens declare the glory of God, then there is a sense in which they are intentionally walking in ignorance Due to a hard heart. Now, this passage in particular, Paul is correcting Christians that might want to walk in this manner. Slightly different. Atheists would openly deny God. The individuals Paul is ministering to 
name the name of the Lord. But it says in verse 19 that the Gentiles have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, there are some men here who do not work desk jobs. And so they know what it is to have a good callus on the hand or even on the foot. And when a callus first begins to form, I mean, a callus is a good thing in one sense. When a callus first begins to form, you feel a little bit of pain in the hand. It tears up the skin a little bit, causes some sensitivity. But when the callus is fully formed, it actually protects and cushions the hand from repetitive motion or from abuse. It's good when it forms on the hand of a laborer. It's bad when it forms on the heart of a believer. Because that pain of the prodding and the pricking is a good thing. It causes individuals to examine their life, to make sure that they're in line. The issue is when there is a hardness of heart and a callousing that takes place to the pricking and prodding of God. So God will prick, God will prod, God will lead, God will teach, God will exhort, God will encourage, God will show you the right way through his word. But it's up to us to obey that word. And when there is disobedience, when there is walking in unrighteousness and ungodliness, when there's unconfessed and unrepentant sin in the life of a believer, we begin to walk as we see the Gentiles did. A callous forms. We're no longer sensitive to the prodding and pricking of the Holy Spirit. Then it says that they have given themselves up to sensuality and they're greedy to practice every kind of evil. We're going to examine this further, but first I want to point out the fact that it says they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That word there, greedy, is pleonoxia. And what it literally means is to covet something or to want more of something. There's a strong desire. They are greedy. So we can say it like this. They covet every kind of impurity or they're always hungry to practice more of every kind of impurity. They're, they're greedy for it. They're hungry for it. And this is the heart's desire outside of Christ. The heart's desire outside of Christ is greedy and hungry for unrighteousness. Even in the self-righteous person, there's been many people that many faithful ministers have evangelized to and asking them, do you think you're a good person? They say, yeah, I'm a good person. But they negate the fact that they're greedy to practice so many forms of evil. Sure, they might not be murderers. And oftentimes that's their ex excuse. I've, I've never killed anyone, but they are practicers of lawlessness. Because the human heart will always be greedy for evil. Now let's go back to Romans. Romans chapter 1 again. And we're going to look at verse 24 forward. Now listen, verse 19 of Ephesians. You don't have to go back. I'm going to read it. They have become callous and have given themselves up. To sensuality. Verse 24 of Romans chapter 1. Therefore God gave them up. 
to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In other words, they worshipped themselves and the work of their own hands. God is, through his word, going to say it again. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Now keep your finger there. I want to go back to Ephesians. They have become callous and have given themselves up. This is often what happens when the heart becomes callous. You give yourself over into the hands of another. But the first thing Paul mentions here is sensuality. They've given themselves up to sensuality. Sensuality is directly correlated with sexuality. For this reason, God gave them up. They gave themselves up. God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, here it is again, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. And listen to this, inventors of evil. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They're finding new ways to perform perverse acts, to be murderous in their hearts, adulterous with their eyes, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. This ties directly in with the text. Paul says, that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way you learned Christ. I've called you out of your paganism. I've called you out of your, your Gentile deeds. I've called you to the true and living God. This is not the way that you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus... You know, there were some who learned Christ that way, but not from the Apostle Paul. If we look at Revelation chapter 2, and I believe it's verse 6, there's this talk about the Nicolaitans and the works of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus Christ said he hates, and which he will destroy those who practice and adhere to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, what was the teaching of the Nicolaitans? Well, the Scripture says that they taught to eat food sacrificed to idols, and perform sexual immorality. We don't know a whole lot historically about the Nicolaitans, but what we do know is that they were immoral people. And there were Christians that were holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans and living in, in a certain manner in which was displeasing to God. It was a very pagan way. Yet, that's the way they claimed to walk in Christ. Now it is said of the Nicolaitans 
that the Nicolaitans used to have these feasts in which people would come and gorge themselves with food. And they would vomit, and they would gorge themselves further. And then they would proceed, not to be vulgar, but to have orgies. Men with men, women with women, men with women, women with men. We might not think that things like that still exist in the church today, but there are many churches in the Western world that live as the Gentiles live. Churches in support of the LGBTQ movement. Now, to be very clear, we love all people. We minister to all people. We preach to all people. We care for all people. But we do not support sin. And this is what Paul is hitting in the head right here. Ephesians. Do not be like the Gentiles. Put off the old. Be renewed. Put on the new. And he goes on to say, this isn't the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, assuming that you've heard that God the Father sent God the Son to the earth to live a perfect sinless life, to be put on the cross, to be murdered, to be crushed, to be pierced, to be bruised. His blood was shed. He died. He was placed in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose. That all who come to him, all who come to him in faith and repentance will be saved. Assuming that you've heard this gospel, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in him, that is Christ. Assuming you heard the gospel, the message of Christ to pick up your cross and follow him, to love God, to love your neighbor, to die to self, to forsake unrighteousness. Get the picture in your mind of that old hymn, the world behind me, the cross before me. I've decided to follow Jesus. It's this idea of turning away from the world. You were once walking towards the world, away from Christ, continually, progressively, A certain thing takes place in which the grace of God captivates the human heart and transforms it. And there's a 180 and someone turns around and now it's the cross before me and the world behind me. And we're progressively pushing on towards that cross. We have been changed, we have been sanctified, and now sanctification is progressing. And we are progressing towards the cross rather than towards the world. This is what Paul is saying is the very teaching of Christ when he says, assuming that you have heard about him, the gospel, and were taught in him because the truth is in him. The truth is in Christ. The truth is only found in Christ. The scripture says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father but by through me. He is the shepherd. He is the one who watches over the gate. He's the one who watches over his sheep. And the only right response to verse 21, when we understand it, when we have heard, when we were taught, when we do live, this glorious truth, verse 22, is that the old self is gone. There's a putting off of the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires. 
In other words, if anybody be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has died and behold, the new has come, the scriptures say. And it's so beautiful. Paul is saying, essentially, with the picture I painted, don't, don't wiggle around like a worm on the ground anymore. Go on to something more glorious. Be transformed. Be renewed. Be heavenly minded. Put off the old because it belongs to a former manner of life. And that's a key thing that I want us to focus on, church, is that there is a such thing as a former manner of life for the Christian. And if there's not a former manner of life as a professing, professing Christian, then that means there was no change. But the scriptures here call for a definitive change. A new way of life, a new way of thinking, a new way of walking, a new way of loving. Put off the old. Do away with it. It held you captive. It held you bound to sin. Romans 6, 15 through 16 says, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? The former manner of life is just that, a former manner of life, because that old life keeps you bound and captive to sin. You cannot break free from it aside from death. The scriptures say one must die to self, be born again, believe the gospel, be made new. Paul says, put this off. It's corrupt. It's corrupt through deceitful desire. That's interesting. The desires themselves in a former individual are called deceitful desires. Why? Because they trick you. I've heard it said that sin will offer and promise more than it can deliver. It'll lead you further than you wanted to go. And at the end, it'll bring forth death. Those who have not shed off the old man are bound. And the only way to be unbound is through faith in Christ, to follow the cross, to follow Christ, to die to self. Then, when there is death to self, there is a renewal in the spirit of our minds. A man who has died to his former ways, who does not live in his former ways, is given a new mind and a new heart. Now, the word renewed here doesn't mean like when you check a book out from the library and you want to keep it longer, so you renew it? No, that's not what Paul's saying. You don't want to keep it longer. The word renew here literally means to renovate or reform. So we are to reform the mind. Reform it into Christ's mind. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your Minds. In other words, we're not in this to be progressing or, or conforming into what the world wants, but conforming into what Christ has called us to. Holiness and righteousness and love and faith. This means to have a whole new mind, a repentant mind, a holy mind, a transformed mind, and that into the mind of Christ. There is a doing away with the old and a making of the new, the new has come. So see the order in which this takes place. There is a realization that an individual is walking in sin or living in sin. 
when that realization has come to, the gospel is presented, and there's a putting off of the old, a renewal of the mind, and a putting on of the new. Verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. Key words here, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I want to show everybody here what we were truly saved for. Now, God is love. God indeed loved us and put his son on the cross to save us from the sting of death, from the power of sin, and from the grip of hell that we would not suffer the eternal punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God. That is true. But the chief end of God's goal is his glory. And glory is brought to his name through his immense love. But he doesn't just save us from hell. He saves us for a purpose. And that purpose is conformity into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, and you don't have to turn there with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. I want you to listen to these words carefully in regards to putting on a new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Listen to these words that the Apostle Paul penned. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What, what a beautiful reality, right? We know that we are saved by the glory and grace of God and his sovereign hand and sovereign predestination. But listen to what comes next. To be conformed to the image of his son. We were saved. We were predestined. It doesn't mention anything about hell. It says to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? Because this is when glory is brought to God. When the world sees the Christian living the Christian life, it's like having Jesus on the earth all over again. The love expressed, the truth expressed, the grace expressed, holiness expressed, a different standard, a different way of life, a, a peculiar way to the world. Then again, we go to Ephesians chapter 1, and we look at verse 4. It's going to echo Paul's previous statement in Romans 8. God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Again, glorious doctrine. But why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now that's twofold. We know that we are the righteousness of Christ, correct? We bring nothing to the cross but our broken selves with our hands out, saying, Father, save me by grace through faith in Christ. And He is faithful to do it, but He is the one who worked you to do it. And when you do it, it is on to good works. It is on to a righteous and holy life in Christ. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now listen. Everything in a natural man, will resist this spiritual truth. This is something that has to be done from above. This is a glorious working of God. 
And he can work it in everybody's life on planet Earth who's willing to come to the cross in repentance and faith. God is faithful to save. He will turn away no one who comes to him seeking salvation. Not one. And what's beautiful is that there are three different types of people here right now. Three different types of people. You've got people who are here right now who hear the word and are unregenerate, and they know that they're unregenerate. They know it. And I've said this before. Then you have individuals here who might think that they're regenerate, but they're unregenerate. And then you have people here who know that they are regenerate, and they are regenerate. This is almost always the case in a mixed crowd. Almost always the case. But what's beautiful is that this message preaches to every single one of those individuals in love. Because it calls. For those who are not saved, it, it calls. And it beckons you, come. Come to the cross. Believe the cross. Believe the message of the cross. Believe in Christ. Put your trust in Him and be saved. Let today be the day of salvation. And then rejoice and be glad in it. Take His yoke upon you, for His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He will surely save you. You see what it is to walk as a Gentile, and you could say, that is definitely me. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. I follow the course of the world. I follow the prince of the power of the air. I carry out the desires of the flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. So you know, don't stay in that place. There's absolutely no reason to stay in that place. When Christ has offered such a beautiful salvation through the cross, to come to Him in faith, to put your trust in Him and so be saved, don't delay. No man is guaranteed tomorrow. And I think that's a very sobering reality. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. Then you have those who believe that they're saved, that are not saved because they have calloused their heart according to the Scripture. Not according to me, according to the Word of God. They have calloused their hearts, they have practiced their sin. They have been deceived into believing that their sins are not that bad or that they'll confess them and repent later on. But they give in to them and they pull you further and further away. And Christ, in His Word, says, that's not the way you learned Christ. Today, put off the old, have a renewed mind, and put on the new created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. He will not turn you away. He will give you the strength to do it. It's a hard place to come to sometimes to be real to yourself. To be your own worst critic. To look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, maybe I actually don't line up with the Word of God. It would be a great injustice when you look at yourself in the mirror to try and cover yourself up, so to speak. To try and 
hide your faults before yourself to have a higher view of yourself. Because if you actually care about yourself, you should be dangerously real with yourself. Your own worst critic. To make sure that when that day comes, you will stand and not shrink back in fear. Now, I'm not preaching legalism. I'm preaching the truth. There are some who live in disobedience to the cross. Willful. First John says, you can be sure of this, that those who practice righteousness are righteous. But those who practice lawlessness are of the devil. So it comes down to practicing. And what do you practice in your life? Then there's the third. Those who know they're saved and rejoice in it. They practice righteousness and they are righteous. They strive towards holiness. They've put off the old. They've been renewed in their mind. They've put off the new. They recognize that they are created after the likeness of God created in true righteousness and holiness. They've recognized it. And they are bent on heaven, bent on serving God. If someone were to examine them, they'd say, I don't know what happened to you. You're a completely different person. You don't do what you used to do. You don't say what you used to say. All you do is talk about that Jesus and that Bible of yours. You don't come to our parties anymore. You're new. Or perhaps people closest to you, even your children, say, man, dad or mom, you're not the person you used to be. And I could recognize a genuine change in you. And in this, we have cause to rejoice, knowing that Christ did the work that he promised he would do, and that we are submitted to that work. That we are made new. That we do have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is heaven-bound. That we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, as Ephesians 1 puts it. But let all of us hear. And only we who are here know in the quietness of our own hearts where we stand with God. Some are outwardly rebellious. Some are also outwardly righteous. It's hard to tell. Only we know. But let this, let this word minister to all of our hearts. To lead us all in truth. To show us all where we should go and what we should rejoice in. And let us rejoice in God who has given us such amazing grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we need you every moment. We recognize that you're the only one who can do this work in an individual. You have the power. Nobody is too far gone. Nobody has sinned too many sins. You're able to save to the uttermost, the farthest end to the earth, the wickedest, most vilest of hearts. You saved me. You can save anyone. And I pray, Father, that salvation would come to all in this church body, that none would be left behind. Would you save Every soul, Father. Every soul. And my voice falls upon right now. Those on YouTube, those on Facebook, those in the surrounding area, everybody here today. You have the power.
to do it. And we ask you to do it, Lord. We ask you to save with your mighty, righteous hand. Stir and convict all of our hearts in your word. And help us this week to live the new life in Christ. Live your word as taught in Holy Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.